So hey, Gunnar. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode. And I'm joined here today with Dan McGuan, uh, who was, just got back from supercomputing. So, so Dan, welcome to the show. And, and tell us what you do at Red Hat. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you, Dave. So I run our focus group and I guess programs office for high performance computing, cloud and technical computing within the public sector. So I focus on um, the customers that do big science um, that, okay. you know, you know, Department of Energy, NASA, and you know, National Weather Service, NOAA, National Institutes of Health, and then even the DOD Research Laboratory. So where your tax dollars get spent doing science, that's where I work. So you, you help be a good steward of our tax dollars. That's great with open source. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So so cool. So one of the things, so I know when I, you know, before I was at Red Hat, I was at SGI, you know, we did a lot with HPC there, of course. And I remember back in the day, with, uh, you know, it was always like a bake-off of, oh, what's fastest? Is it Intel or AMD or is it MIPS or Itanium? Or, you know, it's always these bake-offs and speeds and feeds. We got InfiniBand and at this speed or that speed. Um, but it, it seems like things have shifted away from like uh, uh, speeds and feeds over to like time to science. And are you seeing similar things on your end? Yeah, no doubt. Um, we see it uh, at the, the energy laboratories all over the place and certainly uh, at the NASA flight centers as well, right? Um, the the abstraction of, you know, the evolution of technology is such that, you know, scientific end users, certainly the scientific end users, no longer really care about the infrastructure that's underlying their application. They just want to get their hands on their scientific data, their results as fast as humanly possible. And, mm -hmm. you know, in the bare metal world, you know, especially when you're talking about, you know, a singular resource that multiple research organizations have to leverage, those lines to use that resource get really, really long. And, you know, you enter shadow IT and people start doing all types of wonky stuff because the function of getting their data as fast as possible is what actually moves the needle forward on science. Not, you know, I've got the biggest machine in the world, right? Like it's right. kind of a, kind of irrelevant at this point. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you have a top 500 HPC computer if you're waiting six months to use it. Absolutely right. You know, so the, the function of performance itself is kind of secondary, right? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, yeah, I might take a, you know, a, a hit on the performance of the machine, you know, if I'm using a virtual resource or I'm using, you know, a less capable resource. But mm -hmm. if it's infinitely faster than just waiting, doing nothing, then the performance degradation, if there is any, is totally irrelevant because you're still getting the work done faster. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the total time and factoring in things like wait time. I, I know too, it's like a lot of times when you have HPC clusters, you know, you make this big investment in hardware. So what you want to do is make sure that that system is running 100% of the time, all the time, all the CPUs, all the resources are pegged for you to get your money out of it, right? But the problem is, is then you don't have a lot of elasticity um, for any sort of burst job. You, you, And that's where things like the cloud can come into play or whether it's public or private. Absolutely, right? And one of the really interesting challenges too is that you look at, you know, there's really two types of systems as it pertains to bare metal, right? You have those super capability machines like top 500 boxes that are built with a very specific type of workload in mind, right? And those are the, you know, the CERN type workloads. Those are, you know, the, the astrophysics workloads and the rocket science and the chemistry and the material science workloads that those top 500 systems are built for. And those are the programs mm -hmm. that have tons and tons of money, but they don't suit you know, regular parallel computing very well at all, right? They're way too complicated, way too much cowbell. 
then the other type of system, the other type of system is the one that's built to handle you know, the overwhelming majority of HPC jobs relatively well, but it doesn't do it great. And it definitely does not support those big money jobs. And in a world where HPC resources are typically burdened organizations and people have to come and bring their workloads and their grant money to use the system, you know, the underlying long tail of users, like the 90% the of people that are beyond the capabilities or I guess you know, underneath the capabilities of a top 500 system are totally excluded, right? And this is where mm -hmm. you know, emerging technologies, mode two technologies are really having a tremendous impact. Yeah, yeah. So in your role as as the running the the program office with HPC, then it sounds like you you just go around. All you do is talk about RHEL all day long, right? And how it can run as fast as possible, given what we just said. Not even not even close, Dave. No, not <laughs> not, not at all. Not at all. In fact, we do the exact opposite. Um, you know, Red Hat has been the leader, and I'm not going to lie. Like we really have enjoyed a tremendous amount of notoriety in the public sector HPC community um, as the de facto standard for the operating system. And you know, we have OEM partners to so thank for that. Um, you know, you look at you know big BlueJene systems; those are all they all run you know Red Hat Enterprise Linux for IBM BlueJene, um, and then other clusters throughout you know the world, um, and certainly in the public sector. Like we have an awesome footprint in the HPC community. And as a result of that, you know, we, me and my team, my guys, we get to fly all over the world and talk to the end users and see a really you know, interesting, see this world through a very interesting lens, right? Because mm -hmm. you know, being open source gives us the opportunity to be the sandbox that everyone has to play fair in, right? So mm -hmm. your, your workload's gonna run on SGI, the same is gonna run on Dell, the same is gonna run on IBM, and we are the mechanism by which that occurs, right? Mm -hmm. But similarly, as we have those discussions and we let to look at this world through that lens, we also get exposed to some of the challenges this community faces very uniquely, right? Like, you know, the, the problem of, you know, not having enough chairs at the table, even though there's plenty of compute to go around. Like, we observed that a lot of the laboratories were attempting to solve that problem with OpenStack, right? Yeah. So yeah. it's like, well, you know, Red Hat does the OpenStacking. We, we OpenStack pretty well over here. And, you know, through collaborations with other uh, uh, research laboratories, you know, we put a pretty, pretty firm, you know, line in the sand that, you know, Red Hat is completely enabled and capable and have a past performance in history to be able to deliver HPC as a service like resources over OpenStack to, uh, you know, enhance the meantime and accelerate the meantime to science. And that's what we've been doing here for a few years now, and we're having a blast. Yeah, and speaking of of uh, like open source and community and things like that, one of the things I know you've been famous for is it every year at the summer, uh, every year at the Red Hat Summit, um, you would always have a reception for basically the uh, um, uh, the mad scientists and rocket scientists, right? Where um, you get people from uh, education, the sciences, uh, you know, and, and uh, all together and, and to share common stories. And is that something we're planning again for this year? Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, it's it's very interesting because a lot of the laboratories in the government space exist to compete with each other, right? Like, you know, Oak Ridge was where the, you know, all of the fissile material was enriched for fat man and little boy, you know, and for the Trinity nuclear weapons test during the, uh, the Manhattan project. But Los Alamos is where the, the designs were actually built. Lawrence Livermore came on 10 years after the Manhattan project as a direct competitor. Like they, they don't want to collaborate. They want to work in silos, right? Cause that's how they generate different approaches and, you know, different facilities for, you know, scientific discovery, right? That the competition is an important part of it. 
we, Red Hat, through our user forums and through Red Hat Summit, even through OpenStack Summit, get to take these users, these customers, you know, from all over the scientific space and put them in a room and they talk about how they've solved their problems using open source software, right? It's, mm -hmm. it's, at that point, it's not about competing against each other, it's about the collaboration. And that's a lot of fun. And I mean, you'd think that a, a group of 100 IT you know, science users and administrators um, would be a really boring happy hour group, but it's not. I mean, like you could talk no. about some of the smartest, you know, professional technologists on the planet all get into a room and they drink beer and they snack on wings and they talk about the crazy stuff they get to accomplish by leveraging open source. Yeah. And, and it's like, to me, that ties in so well with our, our mission statement of being that uh, the catalyst in the communities, right? Where where we get those people together and and basically provide that that garden for uh, all of these ideas to blossom. Absolutely right, and we we do enjoy it, um, and the customers enjoy it too. Like as you say, um, not that I experience the notoriety of throwing the parties, but the customers are you know really amped because now it's become a thing across you know public sector sciences where you know you, if you go to an OpenStack summit you got to find the Red Hat guys because you're going to be able to talk to your compatriots from other agencies or from, you know, other parts of the world and talk about how you guys have all attempted to solve similar problems. And it's just, it's really, really cool to have been a part of that. Yeah. And I, I saw that you were, uh, you were interviewed at the OpenStack Summit and, and you mentioned uh, OpenHPC and CCIX. So what, what are those? Yeah, sure. So those are two consortia that are, um, you know, industry managed consortia, right? So the, the CCIX, for example, is the Cash Coherent Interconnect for Accelerators Consortium. So, you know, mm -hmm. think GPUs, FPGAs, and, and then of course the companies that, that make those technologies, right? So like uh, AMD, ARM, Huawei, IBM, Mellanox, Qualcomm, uh, Xilinx, you know, et cetera. Um, and it's, it's an open industry consortium where individuals, you know, participate in the standardization of, you know, of, of emerging technologies inside of this, you know, accelerator focus group, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. We joined the CCIX. Uh, Red Hat has done a ton of work um, in the upstream around uh, ARM, right? For example, we've done a ton of work on enabling GPUs in RHEL. I think we announced the, the first GPU support like, like six years ago. I mean, I was wet behind the ears, but I was still here at Red Hat at the time. Um, mm -hmm. And it, it's, it's really cool, right? Because now we, we get to take what we do really well, which, you know, the stewardship of open source communities and apply it to very specific stewardship, right? In this case, you know, Accelerator Consortium, right? Mm -hmm. Same thing with mm -hmm. OpenHPC. It's, it's not that different, right? It's a collaborative community um, that's, you know, supposed to aggregate like these common ingredients that are required to deploy and manage HPC clusters, right? And mm -hmm. all the individuals that have some sort of involvement in that pursuit, um, you know, again, you know, corporations that have a vested interest in the success of, of emerging and evolving HPC technologies, and Red Hat's joined that consortium as well, again, to be able to apply its good community stewardship, as we've done, you know, with Fedora and Overt and so on, um, to a very specific community. In this case, you know, the, the high performance computing community. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this all, you know, for us, this this ends up in things like like OpenStack. And whenever, you know, historically, I would think of people using HPC, it's like, oh, I want to be as close to the metal as I can, and I don't want to put any abstraction layers like virtualization or anything like that in there. But but actually, OpenStack for the HPC world has has been pretty popular. So where where do you see uh, that going, and where customers are using it? 
Yeah, certainly. So, you know, the OpenStack Foundation itself has you know, a number of focus groups, right? One of those focus groups is the HPC slash research focus group, and that's managed by University of Cambridge, right? And I believe Monash University. It's a, it's a collaboration between the two of them. And uh, the default um, distribution of OpenStack at Cambridge is Red Hat OpenStack platform, right? So the group that runs a consortium within the OpenStack Foundation, their choice for OpenStack software is us. So that's really cool. Mm -hmm. But also, further extended from that, um, you know, I don't want to name names here. You know, talk about things I can't talk about with other customers. But there's a DOE lab that is very well regarded as kind of being the progenitor, the inventor of HPC as a service on top of OpenStack. And we were mm -hmm. involved in that project from you know its infancy. Um, this was a laboratory that had been using RDO, which is our upstream distribution of uh, our uh, OpenStack offering. And um, you know they were having challenges with it. And they are you know, a very large HPC shop. We had a great relationship with this customer. And so you know, we went in there and helped them get their OpenStackiness you know, tight and crisp. And sure enough, you know, these guys kind of led the revolution of you know, what is you know, HPC as a service and is it possible? Um, and then from there, you know, it extended outwards into the other community of users you know, just through OpenStack summits and Red Hat summits that resulted in us landing that great opportunity at JPL. Mm -hmm. And it, and it's I think the interesting thing with with OpenStack is the ability to quickly reconfigure systems in a software defined kind of way. Where I I know that you know back in my SGI days, dependent you know you want to be able to have that flexibility to uh, re-network a, a network topology based upon a particular HPC workload. And so um and and so OpenStack provides that capability with software defined networking. Um, but but also uh, you know software defined storage is pretty big too. So what what are you seeing with with both of those with the software defined networking and storage? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the one of the uh, curious things is that you know people want to get their storage as close to the compute as possible, right? That's yeah. traditionally what we think about in terms of HPC. But with you know software defined storage, something like Ceph, um, something like Gluster, um, you know we can actually move the compute to the storage, which is cool. Mm -hmm. So you know Neutron, of course, allows us to stand up you know multiple VLANs and tunnels all over the place. So we can you know rapidly reconfigure the network to plumb storage that isn't present at the moment. Um, if that's necessary, and then we can stand up, you know, any number of compute instances, you know, physically within the data center as close to that storage environment as possible, right? As long as we know where everything is. So depending on the workload, what the requirement is, um, you know, we can go ahead and plumb appropriate storage. And in the case of Ceph, we can also, you know, is it XFS, is it NFS, you know, uh, bring it over here, it's cool, block object file, doesn't matter. Um, it's it, the ability to rapidly and dynamically configure that stuff is uh, is quite a value add for an end user because you know doing that by a bare metal and going to the data center and you know and pulling cables and it's yeah it's things have evolved quite substantially since then. Yeah, yeah, and then the other part of it too is I I think you know how do you manage this thing as well? Where I know like from a config management standpoint, people used to have these. Um, like disk images or do diskless boot uh, and, you know, to be able to have these golden images that they could ship around to the different nodes. But um, I think what sort of role does Ansible play uh, from a systems management standpoint with things like this though? Sure. So the function of configuration management, uh, especially Ansible in, you know, the HPC world is pretty substantial. Um, 
if you could consider an end user who has to requisition a, a series of resources it, that you got to send the the HPC admin or one of the admins an email and you got to hope he's in the office that day, right? And then you got to hope mm -hmm. he's not totally throttled and, you know, not spending the entire afternoon putting out fires, which he probably is, right? And then he's got to go pull down that master image and put it in the right place and make sure it's appropriately configured for your workload specifically, right? And then he's got to build you a head node and then he's got to build you a login node. And then you've got to take that entire environment and then put slurm on it or, you know, plumb it up to your storage. I mean, like it, the function of all that stuff has to happen, you know, person to person. What Ansible allows you to do is like a single push button, I need this thing. And the Ansible playbook will then say, I need to have this head node configured this exact way and this login node configured this exact way and N plus one number of containers configured this exact way or, or machine virtual machines contain, uh, configured this exact way. And it just removes the, the tremendous amount of complexity and the you know, human capital required to actually get something built, right? Ansible is pretty, pretty impressive in that regard. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's what's funny too is is like that whole software-defined data center and having those communities uh, where um, you could define what the HPC workload looks like as an Ansible playbook, and then be able to share that with with you know participants in your fellow communities. And it's you know infrastructure is code where people could build upon it, improve upon it, maybe even squeak more performance out of it too. Absolutely right. Uh, case in point. Uh some of the guys on in my organization, namely Kevin Jones, uh, when we go out and we show customers the capability of doing HPC on OpenStack, we actually use this uh, you know upstream uh, technology called Elastic Cluster, which you know mm -hmm. essentially comes pre-baked with you know deploying uh, a Slurm cluster on top of OpenStack. Right, it's one less thing that we had to do. It's one less thing that we had to build, and it demonstrates exactly what we're trying to get customers to understand as possible. And it does it in a very, you know, red hat way, which is, you know, we went into the upstream and we found some code that really helped us solve our problem and then showed the world how that problem was solved through just the function of openness and access to, to, to open software. I mean, it's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And if, if we were to look in our crystal ball and it's, you know, it's not on the truck today or, or ready, ready for use, but down the road, you know, you talk about things about, you know, uh, being able to describe HPC workloads as code, right, and, and something that's machine readable, um, you know, being able to have a scheduler, right, uh, like Slurm, uh, I, I think that, wait, um, doesn't, don't containers sort of do that? And then also from a container orchestration standpoint, that's a scheduler. Um, so where, where do you see things going from a, a you know, why not do containers uh, with HPC and, and where do you see the industry going there as, as like this light on a shining hill if, if you were to see this play out? Yeah, containers really could be the holy grail, right? Um, there's some really impressive stuff happening around HPC specific formats for containers, namely singularity. Uh, I think just a couple of weeks ago, you talked to my buddy, Jamie Duncan, uh, and he spoke yep. um, very much about you know, the effects of singularity, but it's you know, Kubernetes being the victor of the orchestration um, of containers, and it's you know, noteworthy you know, scheduling capabilities. Uh, there is absolutely uh, that light on the hill where containers could very much be the, the, the next step. Um, 
in my opinion, I think we're, we're looking you know, 12 months until there's maybe 18 months until there's like super substantial breakthroughs. But I mean, my customers have been playing with containers and HPC you know, since like BSD jails. Like it's not like it's new yeah. technology, but it's being used in a very new and exciting way. And where there's new and exciting, there's always breakthrough. And you know, there's a ton of room uh, in the HPC space for containers to carve out a substantial piece of uh, the workflow. Yeah, and and again, think about it. Where you know people would be developing these uh, gold image, uh, gold images that they got to you know wipe all the disks and, and lay this down. And you know, where really all they why provision an entire operating system when you could just have a container that has just enough operating system to light up the hardware to run that particular HPC job? Absolutely, or better yet, maybe you have a hundred of those you know hosts. You know, with the atomic, you know, mm -hmm. running on top of it, and then Kube acts as the intermediary, right? And your yeah. end users can just bring their workflow there. I mean, it's, you know, there's a ton of opportunity for container technologies to substantially augment the HPC space uh, in the very near future. And people are already doing it. I, I definitely recommend anyone who's listening that's interested in checking out containers and HPC, check out Singularity from Lawrence Berkeley National Lab. It's some really cool stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, and then so those are futures, but maybe let's let's bring things. Uh, we'll land the plane a little bit. What's available today? I, you guys announced something just recently. Yeah, we did. So uh, in the public sector group here at Red Hat, um, and we talked earlier about you know, my organization's observations of the HPC community uh, in the government, and uh, we had noticed amongst those observations that I said earlier that you know OpenStack was becoming a very core requirement for uh, HPC shops. Um, we noticed all these things and then we bought Ansible and you know, Ceph is becoming very prevalent, uh, not just as a function of OpenStack deployments, but as a function of you know, the enterprise, right? Because it's just so versatile. And we say, hey guys, um, we need to take a look at this market very, very seriously and figure out how Red Hat can do even more. Because um, mm -hmm. so, out of the box, you know, OpenStack doesn't solve all the problems. I mean, it gets to there pretty close, but you know, the the function of configuration management via Ansible isn't native to OpenStack, and you know, the function of your know, push button provisioning isn't native to OpenStack. So we came up with something that we're calling Infrastructure Suite for Science and Research. It's a Red Hat branded solution that enables customers to build. HPC as a service environments or research or science as a service environments in their data centers. Uh, it's, it's pretty cool. You know, we've, we've had a lot of success doing this um, piecemeal with customers. You mm -hmm. know, first we want to build them an OpenStack environment and like, okay, cool, this is great. Now let's plumb Ceph in here. Cool, that's great. Um, what about kind of automating a lot of these very manual processes? Well, let's talk Ansible, I got you, right? Um, you know, or I, I want actual intelligence on my workloads. Uh, then we cloud forms them, right? We bring in cloud forms and we, we, we put together this you know, four piece solution. Um, but we don't do those things all at once. What we do yep. with Infrastructure Suite for Science and Research is we bring the best of breed capabilities of all of those technologies to bear at the exact same time, provide the customer with a turnkey solution that allows them to really you know, bridge that gap between you know, user provisioning access to performant capable resources and you know accelerate the meantime to science that's what this is all about nice nice and that's a, it, that ties it all back into the beginning about the accelerating the the time to science so with that Dan I want to thank you uh, for joining so we talked about a lot of things here 
Um, where should we send people to uh, get to the show notes and to uh, get links to you to get that invitation to the Red Hat Summit Sciences reception and all that stuff? Check it out at dgshow.org. Okay. All right, Dan. Well, hey, thanks for joining and thanks everybody for listening. Thank you, Dave. It's been a lot of fun. Absolutely. So when you think of one of the challenges, actually, Dave, could you ask that question again? Because I keep answering your questions with absolutely, and I need to not do that.